Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Lightning Insider Podcast. I am Eric Erlinson from Lightning Insider Com. I encourage you to check out my website where we'll break things down a little bit differently than we do here on the podcast, but I certainly do want to give you uh, lots of insight and, of course, your questions. Uh, if you ever have a question for the podcast, find me on Twitter. The handle is at Eric underscore Erlinson. It's E-R-I-K underscore E-R-L-E-N-D-S-S-O-N, and uh, we certainly like to get the interaction and everything else from you guys here uh, on this show. Uh, all right, post-game recap, Tampa Bay drops game one of the second-round series against the Boston Bruins by a score of 3-2. to two. Victor Hedman had both the goals for Tampa Bay um, after they were down 3-0. Um, unlucky break on the first goal, a perfect deflection by Charlie Coyle, ends up in a different direction as Andre Vasilevsky had his glove out there, waiting to corral the puck. It's a good tip by Coyle. Uh, gives Boston a one nothing lead in the first period. Bruins strike on the power play in the second period. David Pasternak off a nice pass from David Krejci after a couple of times the Lightning failed to get the puck out of the zone, and then that's something that uh, we'll discuss here uh, in a little bit uh, as well. And then in the third period, Patrice Bergeron uh, picks the puck off the stick of Ryan McDonough, finds Brad Marchand alone in front, uh, gives the Bruins a 3-0 lead early in the third period. And then after that, uh, Hedman gets a couple of goals to make it 3-2. They could not quite get the equalizer. And um, a couple of topics I want to touch on for this game. The obvious one is the start of the game. You can't have a slow start like that. And it's it's surprising to me in this aspect that a lot of times, and we saw this early on, even in the first series against Columbus, sometimes you want to get a feel for things, right? Like you want to feel what's going to happen. How's the Bruins, how are they going to play? You know, how are you going to attack them? Are they doing the things that we saw on tape? Um, you know, are they changing anything? So you you kind of get that feel out process. But in this situation, in this series... There's so much familiarity between the two teams. I mean, over the last few years, there's not a whole lot of changeover in the core players. There's some ancillary figures that have moved on, some new faces that are in. But for the most part, I, I think I counted it up. I think there's 13 Boston players from the 2018 series that are still with the team and 12 Lightning players. So the personnel should not be any sort of a surprise to either side. 
And both teams of, well, especially Boston. Boston, they haven't changed who they are for years. For years. Even, you know, you go from, from Claude Julian to uh, Bruce Cassidy, and, and it's not that different. The, the personnel are different, but the style of play isn't that different. They still continue to play a style to where they're going to wait for you to beat yourself. They're going to wait for you to make a mistake, and they're going to pounce. It's been their formula for success for years. You know, and they thrive, obviously, on the play of the Bergeron, Pasternak, Marchand, or Marchand. I don't know which way he wants his name pronounced this week. But they thrive on that, and they are an exceptional line. You can make arguments maybe for some other lines, but for me, they're the best line in the league, and I don't think it's as close as some people think it is just because of how well they know each other. right? I mean, just just look at the, the, um, the third Boston goal. Normally, a, a Brad Marchand, normally that winger on the weak side in that situation starts to make their way out of the zone. But Marchand doesn't. He hangs out behind the net, kind of gets lost behind the defense to observe what Bergeron can do. He can see and he knows what Bergeron can do with the puck. So he kind of just slowly shimmies his way to the front of the net, and he's in a perfect position once Bergeron steals the puck and scores a goal that ends up being the deciding goal. It's a game-winning goal. So they know each other so well. So that's what I'm saying. There's no surprises here. The, the only surprise for me was how tentative Tampa Bay looked. I mean, they, they played like a team that afraid to lose, maybe is the, is the phrase, or afraid to make a mistake. Maybe afraid to lose is not the bay. Just maybe afraid to make the first mistake because they know how patient of a team Boston can be, and Tampa Bay wants to be that team. They want to be the patient team. I talked about that certainly going back to game one against Columbus, having to wait almost eight periods of hockey for things to go their way. So they are a they want to be a patient team, but the Bruins are a patient team. And you can't you can't wait them out. You just have to play your game and do it in a manner in which you're smart with the puck. You can't turn the puck over against the Boston Bruins. They will feast on you. They will feast on you and and in this game in particular the Bruins were credited with 15 takeaways and the Lightning with nine giveaways. So if you want to count that as 24 turnovers, that's a lot of turnovers. The Lightning combined 10 giveaways by the Bruins, 11 takeaways by Tampa Bay, so that's 21. So it's not as big of a disparity in the number. You know, they only finished minus four in that category if you want to talk turnover ratio. But you can't turn the puck over that many times against the Bruins because they're going to beat you. And that's what happened tonight. Now, as tentative as they were in the first period, it's only a one-goal game heading into the second period. And again, this is an area that you cannot do this against the Bruins. You can't give them too many power play opportunities. Victor Hedman takes a tripping call, and look, it's a trip. Call it soft. It's a trip. Anytime your stick is down near the blades of a guy 
and there's contact, whether he steps on the stick or not, it's a tripping call. But you can't, you know, especially when you're already down a goal, to take the first penalty of the period, that's tough. That's tough. And on that particular power play that the Bruins end up scoring, they score almost a minute and a half into the man advantage, and the puck is down there for almost the entire time. And I think I counted at least two different situations in where Tampa Bay could get the puck out of the zone, and they didn't do it. They couldn't get it out, and then all of a sudden now you've got a tired group out on the ice, and now you're struggling a little bit because you can't get to the spots that you need to get to. And just to kind of give you um, the best idea of that, because the goal ends up being scored by David Posternock, who is out there at that circle, the Stamco circle, if you want to call it that. That's where he makes his living as a right-handed shot. So he's out there. Well, earlier in, in a couple of earlier sequences, Eric Chernak was able to get over there and cover it and block a couple of attempts by Pasternak. But in the third one, again, you're a minute 26 into a, a power play, and the puck has been in the zone the entire time. He wasn't able to get there. Now, if you go back and you look at the replay, there's a, a, a crossover high in the zone, an exchange between Tory Krug and David Krejci, Krejci takes the puck. He goes down low. Alex Kalorn is in the, the little middle area of the ice as, as the low forward there. And he has Bergeron covered, who's in the right circle at the hash marks. But he's there too long. Again, long, long penalty kill shift. So instead of putting his stick in the lane that's behind him, He's he's concentrating on Bergeron. If he if he's in a position to have his stick maybe a little bit closer to the lane, maybe that pass doesn't get through. But it was a perfect seam for Krejci to find Pasternak, and it ends up in the back of the net. It's a two nothing lead. Now, Tampa Bay dominated the period the rest of the game, or the rest of the second period. And you want to go back and you know you hear me talk about shot attempts and and all that quite a bit. And in the second period. The Lightning deserved a much better fate. If you want to look at the shot attempts, at 5-on-5, five five, Tampa Bay had an advantage of 21-7 to seven at even strength. So that's 75%. That's even better than some of the numbers they put up against Columbus in, in a few of the periods in that first-round series. And in all situations, because Tampa Bay did have a couple of power play opportunities in that second period, uh, they had two of them. Uh, Patrice Bergeron, that was the opportunity there. He had just fallen down 2 nothing, And Bergeron, who not only is one of their top penalty killers, he's a top face-off guy in the league. You have him in the box for two minutes. That's an opportunity. And then Chris Wagner gets a roughing call uh, that resulted in a power play late. So when you add up all the shot attempts, they were 34-16 to in the second period in all situations. And normally, normally you get a goal out of that. Normally, you get a goal out of that. And the Lightning got nothing, and there were a couple of really in-tight plays down low uh, that Yaroslav Halak just happened to be in the right position for. So uh, couldn't get one past him. And this is my next point here. 
Tampa Bay has to score a power play goal. They have to. They are now 0 for 13. They're 0 for 13 in the playoffs. I'm not counting the round robin stuff. So they go 0 for 10 against Columbus. And then tonight, they end up going, actually they're 0 for 4. So they're 0 for 14. No, sorry, they had three power plays. It was a roughing, minor roughing call. So they're 0 for 13 in the, in the playoffs on the power play. And, you know, I, I, one of the things I had written on LightningInsider.com, and if you subscribe, you already know this, you have to keep the game 5-on-5 five five as much as possible if you're Tampa Bay. Because they weren't getting the power play opportunities in the series against Columbus. Again, they were 19-10 in favor of the Blue Jackets. Now they end up here 3-for-3 three three in this game, so they're even up. But they didn't score on theirs, and Boston scored on theirs. And it's a one-goal game. So you can't, you can't continue to go over on the power play and expect to have success. Now, it can be done. We've seen it done. I believe the LA Kings, one of the years they won the cup, I think they had two power play goals the entire playoffs. Even the year, and John Cooper brought this up, the year that the Bruins won the cup in 2011, their power play was about 12%, but they had 10 power play goals. They were just 12% because they got a lot of opportunities. So you have to find a way to get a, a special team's goal. It, it's imperative. You can't, and not that the power plays tonight were momentum killers, because you can get momentum killing power plays sometimes. I don't think there were any of those tonight. I thought they actually built up some momentum. And the penalty kill, for the most part, was pretty good. Their third penalty kill was fantastic. It was terrific. But the Bruins took advantage of the one early in the second, and it ends up being the difference in the game. So even strength, the score is 2-2. Boston wins the special teams battle. They win the game. And that's typically how things tend to go. And I don't know what the answer is, because Steven Stamkos is not coming back anytime soon. At least that's what you have to figure. He's not gonna. He's a big part of their power play, and he has to. Um, his absence is noticeable. It is. Now I remember in training camp, in reboot camp, when they started to work some different things. When Stamkos sort of saw his time cut back, his opportunities to get out and practice cut back. John Cooper did say, "Well, we're prepared for all contingencies in case Stamkos isn't there." So you saw Braden Point try it out in that right circle as a right-handed shot. They've tried Tyler Johnson in that circle as a right-handed shot. They've even put Andre Pilat over there. Nothing is working. Mikhail Sergachev continues to run the number one power play. I don't know if they'll look to change that and get Victor Hedman back out there. Maybe they swap Hedman with, with Sergachev for game two on Tuesday. We'll see. Uh, but something has to change. You you have to find some some good vibes on the power play. And right now, the only way to do that is to score a goal. Again, 0 for 13 in the playoffs. That's that's dangerous. That's dangerous to live on. All right, digging inside some of these numbers here for the game, just to kind of give you an idea. First of all, let's remember in 2018 when these two teams met, the Bruins won game one by a score six to two. And I mentioned this in the season pre- or the series preview podcast a couple days ago. Braden Point was a minus five in that game. 
minus five. Pretty sure he's never been a minus five in his career. Junior level, pros, whatever. But he had a rough game. The Lenny came back, won game two, went up to Boston, won both games in TD Garden, and then won the series in five. So there's some encouragement there. This is what we talk about, the roller coaster. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Don't overreact to one game. Look at what you did well in this game, and then be better at the things you weren't very good at. But if you want to dig into some of these numbers, the Lightning had a better expected goal rate, if you want to get into those numbers, 3.2 to 2.7. They created more high danger chances, 13 to 11. And the bigger part of that, and this gives you an idea of how slow they started, 10 to 4 over the final two periods. That's normally going to end up being in your favor. Scoring chances were 23 to 17 over the final two periods. And again, the first period didn't lose them this game, but it didn't do them any favors. Andre Vasilevsky had to bail them out a couple of times. He stopped Andre Kasha on a breakaway. That could have put Boston up one nothing before they actually went up one nothing. So those are some encouraging numbers, and I know there's no quote-unquote moral victories, but there are positives. There are positives in this game. The latest news and insight with the Lightning is found here on the Lightning Insider Podcast. Here again is Eric Erlinson. Uh, the one other thing is, too, you do wonder, can Yara Halak keep this up? He was terrific in the second period. I think even Bruce Cassidy, I saw reference that, you know, he was a big part of the reason why they didn't give up any goals in the second period, where and he even said it, Tampa probably deserved better. But that's what a goalie's for, to come up with those saves. But can he keep it up? We don't know. Look, he's 4-0 since Tuka Rask departed the team. He's 4-0. Puck don't lie, right? But I don't think he was tested, certainly in the early part of the game, he was tested anywhere near enough. So I think you have to find a way to penetrate that Boston uh, zone. And they don't quite pack it in the way Columbus does, but you know they do get in the way um, in, in shot, shot lanes, as a lot of teams do. And in this game tonight, they ended up blocking 19 shots. Sorry, it was a lightning that blocked 19 shots. Boston blocked 20 shots. So that's, again, it's playoff hockey that, that comes with it. That's definitely part of the territory. But look what happened when they got pucks through. Both of Victor Hedman's goals came off of wrist shots that just found their way through traffic. So you've got to find ways to just get the pucks through. And they created some chaos. They did in that second period. There were opportunities around the net. Sometimes you just can't get it. And to me, one of the biggest plays of the game was Ryan McDonough cuts down the left slot or down the left uh, left side there, and he feeds Barclay Goodrow at the side of the net. And, you know, I saw a lot of people say, oh, one too many passes. No, that was the right play. If uh, Ryan McDonough's a right-handed shot, that's a different story. He's not. He's a left-handed shot. It kind of went behind him just enough. So he has to he has to make that pass, and it's the right pass. And, again, I bet 95% of the time that ends up as a goal. Just didn't quite go his way, and I think that was a key turning point in the game. That would have made it 2-1 at the time. Uh, it's a much different game and a diff- different feel 
uh, for things at that point if it goes in. So um, now the big question is going to be what is Ryan McDonough's status? He did not play the final uh, 10 minutes of the third period. Chris Johnson from Sportsnet noted that he went down the tunnel. John Cooper was asked after the game, any update on him? And he said he didn't have an update, but he hopes he's okay. And that's as vague as you can be in answering that question. I hope he's okay. He said the same thing with Victor Hedman. So I, I don't even know if you can necessarily read anything into that. Um, and we may not know until game day on Tuesday. Might not even know until warm-ups what the situation is. I didn't see what happened. Uh, I didn't notice anything happen. Uh, but again, his last shift lasted about 14 seconds before it went off. So that's something that we definitely have to keep an eye on um, ahead to game two on Tuesday. So again, that's a 7 p.m. game on Tuesday night for game two. Remember, game two and three are back-to-backs. So it's going to be a very quick turnaround between games two and three. Game two is Tuesday. Game three is on Wednesday. It's a very odd series that way. All right, let's get to uh, questions um, from a lot. And there's a lot of good questions here, too. So I want to get to them before we close out uh, this episode. Um, From ARNDTJC, no name attached to it. Was this the worst 60-minute defensive effort from Tampa in the postseason so far? If so, is that telling for how the rest of the series should go moving forward, getting a better effort? If not, aside from the second period versus Columbus in Game 5, what was the worst effort? It's not a lot of sample here, right? I mean, that second period against Columbus was probably 10 times worse than the first period against Boston tonight. You know, on this one, I say you can't get like you can't get so discouraged that you think this is the way the rest of the series is going to go. It's it was it's one game. You're chasing the series now. It, it's it's important you don't fall behind two nothing. You got to get game two. And again, go back to 2018. Same two teams. You know, the the Bruins pushed the Lightning around big time at the end of the 2018 season. They met three times in the final month of the season, and two of them were just dominating wins by the Bruins. The last one was a shutout win by Tampa Bay, which kind of gave them a little bit of a textbook of feel for how to play when they met up in the second round. But again, they lost that game 6-2. And everybody's like, oh, it's over. I'm not going to win. Bruins dominated us. They're the big, bad Bruins. It's one game. So... The worst 60-minute defensive effort, look, they had a bad period. They had a bad period, and then Bergeron made a great play on the third goal. There's no denying that. But to sit here and say it was a complete defensive 60-minute meltdown, I don't agree with that. Uh, From Travis, uh, I'm glad they showed up. First period was garbage. The final tool, bolts in five. Love the podcast. Keep them coming. Um, thanks, Travis. I appreciate that. Yeah, again, uh, you have to look for things to find positives in. And there were plenty of positives to find in this game. Um, from Dr. Mark Sokolov, uh, possible to have Espo talk to these non-urgent. We will get him next time, part-time NHL players. Wow, boy, the fire and brimstone is out tonight. He just said they played 25 minutes tonight. Love him, Jesus save, and Esposito scores on the rebound. Enough of this BS. Play 60 minutes Tuesday. Let's remember 
let's remember that there are two teams on the ice. There's two teams on the ice. So, yeah, you want to see Tampa Bay play better, but the Bruins are a very good team. Remember, they went to the Stanley Cup final last year, got to a Game 7, lost to the St. Louis Blues on home ice, won the President's Trophy this year. They're a very good team, and they're going to get their chances, and they're going to have momentum in their favor. I mean, Phil sees the game a certain way, and, and in, in a lot of ways, I think Phil is a, is a big fan nowadays, um, and the game was played differently back then. Um, but yeah, but look, the first, I'm not giving them a pass in the first period, but the second period, they were by far the better team. And the third period, they, it was a little bit more even. Um, and then once the score got to be three, nothing, Tampa Bay had some pushback, but, um, to sit here and say that they were just terrible for the entire game. I don't, again, I don't buy that. There are plenty of positives to take out of this game. And I mean, how many people were ready to write off Tampa Bay after they lost game two to Columbus? Like you can't, you can't just overreact to one game. That's, it's kind of my, my motto here. Um, from uh, Mark uh, at Handersmark on Twitter, was it just me or the Bruins looked better at the beginning of each period? How do you feel? What do you feel has to be done at the break? Uh, I assume he means the break between games one and two. Uh, well, there's no, well, look, Tampa Bay had a power play to start the game, right? Zidane Chara took a cross check opening shift. There's an opportunity to start the game well. They didn't. You know, in the second period, Victor Hedman takes a tripping penalty, so it ends up in the back of your net. It looks bad. Um, you know, look, it's just, it, it is. It's just being ready. And look, it's a big reason why John Cooper threw the Gord, Goodrow, and Coleman line out for the start of every period in the last uh, in the last series, right? Because those guys can create momentum, and I think that that's something they have to do. Just have a good shift, have a good start to the shift, and a lot of times that can carry over. I, you know, I asked Kevin Shattenkirk about that in the last series, and that's exactly what he said: is that tends to kind of get things rolling for them when they do it. All right, from Evgeny Lightning fan, thanks again for the question. Uh, Boston was opportunistic on their chances, not worried, but I wanted to ask you, are you concerned after this performance tonight, or do you think if they replicate what they did in the second half of the game, they can win this series? They can win this series. I still think they're going to win this series. And again, the Lightning had chances. They didn't capitalize on them. They had power play chances, didn't capitalize on it. The Bruins capitalized on one of their power play opportunities and took advantage of a good play by Patrice Bergeron and you know the Charlie Corey goal. There's nothing Andre Vasilevs. Look, they have to be better. There's no doubt. They have to be better. And they can be better, and I believe they will be better. So there's lots to build off of that you can kind of go to the tape and say, look, this works well. Let's continue to do this. And again, you look at it, the face-offs, there were... 23 face-offs in the offensive zone. That's that's a good ratio. 23 to 15. There were 15 draws in the in the defensive zone. And that includes power plays. So um again, a lot of, I liked a lot of what I saw. Didn't like what they the way they started. And I think that set a bad tone. You can't you can't start that slow and expect that you're gonna be able to just find your game before you're you're chasing it. And when you start chasing the game, it becomes much more difficult. Uh, from Lee Ensinoza, who is more responsible for the slow starts, the players or the coaches or a little of both? This team's biggest problem is between the ears. It has been. John Cooper referenced that. 
with their play in the second period of Game 5 against Columbus. But here's my take on this. I don't, I don't know why so many people put the onus on coaches to have a team ready. Does he have to go in there and give a rah-rah speech before every game? At this level, it shouldn't be. If a coach has to come in and motivate a team before the start of every game, you don't have the right team. To me, it's 95% on the players. They have to be the ones that are ready. You know, I was on with Jay Retcher after the game um, on Facebook Live, and it's, it's the myth of the Newt Rockney speech. That's what gets him going. Can it work? Yeah, there are certain times. Herb Brooks, Team USA, 1980 U.S. Olympic team, you know, some of the famous motivational speeches he gave. But athletes are different nowadays. The coach does not need to go in and give them a rah-rah speech to get them ready. It's on the players. It's on the players to take what the coaches give them, go out and execute it. That's my take on it. So, And, and, and if you're going to say it's the coach's job to get them ready, can we sit here and say, well, he went in and calmed them down after the second period against Columbus in Game 5, and they went out and won the game. So does he get credit for that? So it, it kind of goes both ways. To me, though, it's almost always always on the players. Uh, last question from Anthony. Why start the fourth line in the third period when we're down by two goals? <laughs> there are different reasons for why you choose different lines to start games or start periods. Uh, I just mentioned how uh, John Cooper used the Goodrow, Gord, and Coleman line to start every period but one in the series against Columbus because they set a tone. Right, they set an energy tone, uh, and that sometimes that's what you're looking for uh, as well. So yeah, you're down two goals, but you want to establish something right away, right? And you want to if you can if you can start an, a period with an energy shift, and that's what the line of or the job of, of lines like that is supposed to do. Start a, a period with energy. Get in deep, cycle the puck, make him work. That can be contagious. So that's why you start a fourth line. You can't, you're not going to get back two goals on one shift, right? Like you're not going to do it. So to, to kind of sit here and, and pick apart or, you know, question why you start that type of a line, there's 20 minutes to go. You're not going to shorten your bench to start a period. You're not going to do that until it gets a little bit later in the game anyway. Give them a chance to go out and start the game with some energy. So... That's my take on it. All right, that's going to wrap up this edition of the show. Uh, again, I, I appreciate everybody listening. Um, you know, hit that like button. Uh, make sure you subscribe to this. Five-star reviews, they help me out so much. Uh, if you can pass along those five-star reviews. Uh, we'll be back again with another post-game podcast uh, after Game 2. So, again, Game 2 is Tuesday at 7 p.m. Uh, game 3, a quick turnaround again, is on Wednesday um, so look, iTunes, Spotify, we're working on Google for those of you who are trying to get it on Google. We hope to have that resolved here, uh, in the next couple of days to kind of make sure it's up on Google so you can find it there. Um, as well, if you have any questions ever, you can find me on Twitter. I told you the hashtag ask the E or my Twitter handle, my DMS are always open as well. And if you want to email me, it's Eric at lightninginsider.com. That's E-R-I-K at lightninginsider.com. All right, we'll be back on Tuesday after game two. Until then. 
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.